there's something about you. You you like attention. It's partly your fault. Oh, why's that? Because you're so bossy. <laughs> we see things in other couples and we go, oh, yeah, that's all right, because I'm like that, so I'm not alone in being like that. I don't think I'm that chaotic. Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and the amazing thing is when you do start to talk to people, they do love to talk about themselves and their lives. Because I think we're all kind of fascinated in relationships. Why do some work? Why do some people get together? How did they meet? Because, God damn it, Johnny, we've been through enough hard times. Yeah. Well, I knew the moment I met you that uh, I wanted to spend the rest of my life with you. I think, Johnny, if I had to sum up this show, I would say it's a show about love. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Love is what it's all about. Hello and welcome to Johnny and Tiggy Walker Consciously Coupling. Now in this podcast we're going to be chatting to other couples and finding out how they met. Who did the wooing or who wooed who. Whether they faced any struggles together. And the triumphs and the joys that they've had. We'll hear about the songs that they love, that they share and maybe some that they don't. And it's all with thanks to our partner the Velvetizer from Hotel Chocolat. Barista grade drinking chocolate at home. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to get a new episode every Wednesday. Right, let's get started. Let's. Our very first guests on this, the very first podcast, are Steve and Dorothy Harley. Yes. Now, I could tell you about my connection with Steve Harley, but I'm fascinated to know when you first heard of him. Well, Johnny, when I saw him on Top of the Pops and a very beautiful young man he was. I was 14, I think, 1974, maybe I was 13. He was very handsome. He had a little bit of makeup on, looked very attractive, and it was come up and see me. I know you're going to you're going to correct me. I know. Make me smile. Come up and see me in brackets. That's <laughs> what he was performing and he was quite Fascinating. I mean, that is a great song, but I was very taken by him. Johnny, I've got to ask you, I know you helped Steve launch, actually, because you chose Make Me Smile, Come Up and See Me in brackets as your song of the week when you were on Radio One. What is that your favourite of his tracks? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I love a song that he's written that Rod Stewart recorded, A Friend for Life. Beautiful song. Um, but I first heard him, there's a connection. Mickey Most wanted to sign him to his record label and eventually did. But his brother, Dave Most, was a plugger for EMI. And Dave used to walk the corridors in a building called Eggton House, the home of Radio 1 in the 70s. And he said, Johnny, great new band, Steve Harley and Company Rebel. Check this out. And he gave me a copy of their first single, Sebastian, which was very long and kind of difficult. It's over seven minutes, Yeah, isn't it? it was. So it was not, a, not an easy record to get on the radio. Radio One that was obsessed with, you know, the three-minute pop single. So I said, that's really tough one, Dave, you know. So then I think the record company said the same thing to Steve Harley. Uh, we need a more commercial hit single. So Steve thought, right, well, I'll, I'll come up with one and came up with Judy Teen. And Dave Most gave that to me and I uh, loved it, picked it for Record of the Week. And the lovely thing about it is Steve Harley's manager called me up and said, Johnny, Steve is very grateful that you picked his record for Record of the Week and the support you've given him. He'd like to take you out to dinner. 
And I thought that was a very nice thing to do. And it was quite rare an artist should react in that way. So we all went out to dinner together. We got on famously. And that was the beginning of a friendship that's survived to this day. Well, that's a long time. Yeah. That's clocky. You'll, you'll be celebrating your 50th year of friendship in about three years' well, I guess time. We, I guess we will. i tell you a thing to listen out for. Because Steve Harley used to present Sounds of the 70s on Radio 2. Yes. It was a one-hour show in the evening. You and nicked his gig. He will say, you stole my show. Johnny, you stole my show. So he, he's just listen out for that. He's bound to say that. Well, and do you think, it's very interesting, because I don't think Dorothy's ever spoken in public before. Do you think she is going to get a word in edgeways? Well, I think we've set them up. Enough. Well, I think so. Yeah. And uh, let's talk to our first guest on Consciously Coupling and welcome Steve Harley along with his wife Dorothy. So a very warm welcome to Steve and Dorothy Harley. Uh, Dorothy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Johnny. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Were you worried about the idea of doing this podcast or? Slightly, I think initially. Um, but I'm okay now. Okay, I'm caffeinated up and I think I'm going to be fine. <laughs> Steve Harley, good afternoon. Good afternoon, old friend. Uh, and I'm healthy too. Men physically healthy. Mentally, I'm a bit of a state, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go into that or maybe we'll pick up that, that later? Oh, you know, it's... Uh... You're missing the road, basically. Yeah, yeah you know, I've travelled for 47 years and uh, this is... It's weird for me, very weird. I, I, uh, I'm used to uh, having that bag packed all the time. And um, we're, now we're just moving up a whole bunch, 17, 20 shows in May and the beginning of June have been put back to the following year. Dorothy, is it, is it weird for you having um, Steve at home the whole time? I mean, because <laughs> Johnny and I are used to separation. He'd go to London for three nights a week. I'd get my life in order. And uh, all was fine with the world. Diggy, How's it for you? Diggy, I'm nodding. I can't nod any harder. It, ah, it's, it's very, very odd because we've known each other since 1979. And we've always travelled. I mean, I used to travel a lot initially. Steve was always away. He was, he was here a lot, but at least we had that break. But now it's this lockdown. Uh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you're 24-7 with each other all the time, with, with nowhere to escape, <laughs> really. <laughs> it's so true. Steve, let's wind back 40 plus years. When did you first set eyes on Dorothy? October 79. We'd just released the album, The Candidate. And I was out doing a promotion tour for a week with my oppo and a young lady from EMI, promotion girl. Fiona. Fiona Cunningham. And uh, there were three of us on this aeroplane and we were only going 20 minutes between Glasgow and Newcastle. We were on a B-Cal, B British Caledonian short hop flight and Dorothy was one of the stewardesses. And frankly, I almost fainted. <laughs> I've never been so, I'd never, never felt like it ever. Well, the coffee was that uh, Until then or since, no, <laughs> looking at you, it, I've never, never had that experience again. And it, you, can I tell you, the, the, you know, I'm a great believer in serendipity. And we got off the plane and then I made an excuse to go back on. I went up the steps and just said, may I speak to the stewardess who I was talking to? And they brought Dorothy forwards to the 
front door and uh, we had a little chat and that was it. But when we got off, we were leaving and I'm just thinking, what have I done? I didn't give a phone number. I didn't ask for a date. And I, what's going on? I was kind of panicking. <laughs> and two guys came towards us in greasy overalls to vet the plane because Dorothy and the crew were going off to Amsterdam or somewhere. And they have to vet it. They have to check things. So they're coming towards us and they just stopped and went, Steve Harley. Yeah, yeah, you know. And he, I said, what do you want? He said, well, will you, will you sign this? You know, back then you didn't have selfies, you didn't have phones. And I said, yeah. And then we got this, I went, look, um, guys, you're going on that plane, aren't you? Take this on for me, please. And I scribbled quickly a message to, to I didn't know a name, and, uh, you know, from Steve Harley and the phone number, and may I take you to dinner? And they took it on for me. And uh, then we, we had a date a couple of weeks later. <laughs> Dorothy, did you have the same feeling? Would, would the minute you saw him, was it um, love at first sight? Uh, Tiggy, just let me clarify the, the bit that Steve actually missed. Um, it was a passenger who'd asked to get Steve's autograph on the plane. So oh, yeah. I went down and asked the wrong person. <laughs> so uh, was it love at first sight for me? Well... <laughs> Um, yeah, this oil, oil rig, <laughs> an oil rig worker up the back had said, could you go down and ask Steve Harley for his autograph? And she came down, Dorothy, leant over this front row that we were in, the row of three, three, three seats in a row, leant over and looked at the bloke in the middle who was my assistant and said, can I, can I, could you sign this, please? <laughs> I actually said, are you Steve Harley? And he said, yes. Yeah, we did and that said, a lot. would you mind saving, would you sign this for a passenger up Did you not know Steve or Cockney Webber? Um, no, not really. I knew I knew a few of his, his, his songs, but no, I, I hadn't followed him, no. She had David Cassidy on her bedroom wall, not me. <laughs> you know, when somebody wanted to introduce me to Johnny, I went, Johnny Walker, isn't he dead? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Far from it. Neither of us were fans, and I think that's a good basis for a strong marriage. So, Dorothy, when those two guys handed you the piece of paper, what did you think? And and were you attracted to Steve when you realised which person was Steve Harley? Well, no, um, not initially. Um, I, I just thought, well, who does who does he think he is, sort of thing. Um, I, I, it was it was odd. It was an odd situation, and so I in, I didn't do anything. I, I didn't follow it up. I didn't uh, call the number. And at the time, when we were checking in for various flights each day, we always had to check what they called the chip book to see if there was any messages for you, um, if your flight had changed, whatever. And each day there would be messages um, because Stephen somehow got through to the airline, and each day I'd have a message: "Please call, please." Please call Steve Harney. Um, so I, I think I, I did, and uh, and he said, I'd like to take you to dinner, and I, I drove up to London, and I think that was my very first time in London, and uh, he, he wouldn't even tell me where he lived in London, and I thought this is getting stranger and stranger. I had to meet him in a street, uh, the third turning off Marble Arch or something like that, and I thought this is really strange, and uh, eventually he got into the car. <laughs> and uh, he said, which bridge did you come over? 
And I said, I didn't come over a bridge. And he said, well, you must have come over a bridge. You know, you, you, you're not a, you've got to have come over a bridge. And I said, look, I said, I may not have been to London. Sussex to Marble Arch and she didn't cross a bridge. No, I didn't even notice a bridge. <laughs> even to this day, I think it might have been Victoria, but I can't be altogether sure. Mm. And then we just went for dinner and uh, the rest is history, I suppose. Mm. Actually, he, he took me to... Um, um, our, our first restaurant, um, and in it was one of a like a celebrity place where they had a lot of photographs, and there's actually a picture of Steve on the wall uh, with Yvonne Keeney, um, who was his ex girlfriend, which I thought was lovely. Mm. <laughs> but that went well; it went very well. <laughs> so, Steve, you were sweating for a couple of weeks as to whether uh, this person, whose name you didn't know even know, whether this person was going to ring you up. Well, I don't know about sweating. I I, I was busy. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, yeah, very much wanted it to see to see Dorothy very much. I was I was overwhelmed, to be honest. I really was. And do you think it was an advantage that uh, Dorothy didn't know about you and your career and your <laughs> status? It, it didn't matter a bit. I mean, I'm not like I was never that vain anyway. And uh, also, um, she proved. That, that I wasn't the only one she didn't didn't know much about. Because Tiggy's story rings a big bell. After five minutes, we were talking about music, and I said, "Well, I, I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan." And she said, "When did he die? 1979. <laughs> <laughs> he just released Desire." <laughs> but at the time, as you're as you getting to know each other, uh, developed. Was there a song that became kind of your song? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, there is a tune that we agree upon. Um, we both stayed up late in those days. I, I still am a bit of a night owl, of course. And you, yeah, don't be surprised, but our song is, we would say, Sailing By. Oh, how yeah. The shipping forecast <clears throat> theme from Radio 4. Because we both adored it. We'd both be in bed reading for years. It went on for quite a lot of years. We were reading in bed and... And it's just it's a beautiful piece of light music. It's very light, you know. But he was Mantovani's... The guy who wrote it in 1963, he was Mantovani's musical arranger. He's a great history. Durham man called Ronald Bing. And he also wrote Elizabethan Serenade, which everybody knows. I absolutely loved that piece of music. Mm. And when I was in hospital with cancer, I got in touch with, uh, I sent a text to my producer at Radio 2 and I said, can you possibly get me a web file um, of Sailing By? Because, you know, I just love to be able to play it in my hospital bed. Sleep is not something that comes easy when you're in hospital. So I used to listen to the radio a lot and particularly would listen to Radio 4 because that's the that's tune they play when I kind of closed down in a way, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I loved it. I've always loved that. And I think it's very calming. I think we both used to think how calming it must be. I, I don't remember the presenter's name, but he did it for many, many years. And I think if you were out at sea and you were in distress, his was a voice you wanted yeah. to hear. It was just, you know, if you'd capsized, you would oh, no. still feel calm because it was just a lovely voice and the way he presented. Yeah, Peter and then, yeah, and then the music came in. So, yeah. Dorothy, when you got to realise that Steve was actually quite a famous um, pop star, did that worry you at all? 
did you sort of think, oh gosh, this is going to be trouble and fans and notoriety, or well, not notoriety, but certainly the attention of, of uh, outside people? I don't think it did, Tiki. I don't think it, it worried. I think we were both travelling so much, we just didn't, we didn't consider. Um, people would say, oh, you're with him because he's famous. And I said, no, he's with me because I've got concessions with the airline. <laughs> you know, so there, there was a balance both ways. No, I, I don't think it, 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 did, it did bother me, no. So with you flying a lot and Steve, you gigging a lot, um, yeah. you couldn't have got to see each other that much, really. It must have been hard finding times to get together. Well, it's been like that for since then, hasn't it? I mean, nothing's changed apart from this stupid year that we've just enjoyed. Um, other than that, it's been the story of our life. When the kids were growing up, they're both in their mid-30s now, and... They would care, care, would care. My son Care would come home and say something like, Jeremy says that you're away a lot. And I, I said to him, I said, well, tell Jeremy that I'm also home a lot. You know, I'd be away six months of the year, but I was home six months of the year. We don't, could, no one's on the road all the time, even, even his Bobness and his never ending tour. We're all home, you get home, don't you? And then you go for, away for two or three weeks uh, and then come home again. So. I was home a lot more than his friends' dads ever were. When did you decide, Steve, that you were going to propose to Dorothy? I think on that airline, the day I met her, I, I really did. Um, yeah, I'm very romantic. You know, you know, if you know my songs, you know what I write, you know what I'm like. <laughs> and it is the real me. It's the real me. I mean, we just got to know each other so well and 50% living together. <clears throat> just seemed inevitable and we were it was the days when we were old-fashioned enough to actually want to get married uh, rather than shack up for years on end it wasn't my style really not with Dorothy now Dorothy had a an interesting upbringing her mother died when Dorothy was only two and a half years old and so Dorothy matured very quickly and could cook and run a bit of the house when she was just really a, just a child. I mean, great stories I've had from her Scottish relatives, and Dorothy tells me about it sometimes. And I'm aware of that too. Um, and frankly, I've told Dorothy many times in years gone by, many, many times, she'll, she'll bear this out. I've often said to her that, you know, I'm quite religious, and I do feel that I was put on this earth now, I'm sorry, this sounds crazy, maybe, but, uh, you know, it's been a funny year and I've, I've, I've owned up to a lot of uh, truths uh, since this winter started going on. I've become much more relaxed. My arm's length attitude to my, you know, to the stranger is, is kind of relaxing quite considerably. And I can tell you that I've often said to Dorothy that I th think I was put on this earth uh, to look after you, to protect you. Haven't I said that? Yeah. And I and, truly, yeah. truly, deeply mean it. And he would tell my family, my aunties yeah. and things in Scotland, when he saw them, that that's what he believed. Yeah, uh, it's weird, yeah. Isn't it? Interesting. That's very beautiful. It would seem, Dorothy, that maybe Steve is more romantic than you are. God. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. He, he is a poet, he is a writer. I am very down to earth, I'm very Torian, uh, which is my birth sign. And I think, um, I think I probably keep him grounded and I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely keep him grounded. <laughs> and I, I'm not really part 
um, of his, I, I never enjoyed the paparazzi stuff, you know, when we used to go into nightclubs, things like that, and walking the red carpet, I hated it, absolutely hated it. Never really wanted to be part of that, which probably sounds odd, considering who you marry. Well, as I said, this is your first time ever that you've been in front of a camera mm. to talk, never mind or be pictured. It, it, but nobody, nobody can see me. It's the first time. <laughs> you're that, you are modest and... Uh, you're modest. The children take after you. <laughs> but you're very grounded, Dorothy. When it came to the time when Steve started playing you his music, were you polite and said, oh, I love that and I love oh, it? I did like it, Tiggy. I did. Yeah, he gave me, um, first of all, he gave me his album of The Candidate that he was promoting then and he signed it to me. And I went home and listened to it and I thought, hey, this is good. <laughs> you know, there's more, than, uh, there's more to Steve than make me smile, which, of course, everybody in his grandmother knew. Um... But yeah, and then I started listening to his music and just thought, wow, you know, how have I missed this? This was, um, it was quite special. Yeah, it, it wasn't somebody I was following before, but um, yeah, I'm always very interested what he does now. And I think his music is, is very moving and it, it comes from the heart and yeah. But now 40 years later, that's an, an amazing achievement. Congratulations on 40 years. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's a very corny question, but it's, I've got to ask it. So how do you think you managed to do 40 years together in, with you, Steve, having a job that traditionally is not good for relationships? <laughs> well, you know, um, it's down to Dorothy and her Taurus, bullish li life um, attitude to life. And she's very loyal and um, forgiving and things. And uh, not that there's much to forgive, but I can tell you, if I hit the road, and there's in the rock band, there's probably 15 of us on, on the road. And there's a couple in their 30s that I'll exclude. But everybody else, you know, they're all on their second and third marriages or parts. I'm the only one. I'm always the only one that hasn't. And the reason is I was, I was 30 years old when we got married. It was the night before my 30th birthday. Uh, so I'd been around, I'd lived a life, I'd really had a massive, massive of experience by then of women, life, and the, the rock and roll lifestyle, 70s were complete mayhem, of course. So I guess I was ready to back off a bit from all that and didn't need it. And uh, it's, it's basically, it's, it's, it's Dorothy. Um, she's not a rock chick. I, wouldn't, I was never going to marry a rock chick. I like reality. I like real people. I'm a Millwall supporter, for Pete's sake. I like reality. I don't like virtue signalling. I don't like woke. And I don't like rock chicks. I, I still see them hanging around guys my age. You think, we're on your third marriage and you're still trying to grow up, you know? I, so I was never going to be like that. Dorothy's real people. I think when no you ligger. accept after... Um... 40 years, maybe uh, 41, <laughs> 42 of knowing each other, 41, 42. Um, I think you have to accept that every day you're just not going to love each other, and that's okay. Some days you could strangle them, you know, other days you just want to walk away. But ultimately, um, you just accept that that's the way a long-term relationship goes. I mean, some people say to me, oh, you know, we've been married for 25 years, and we've never once had an argument, and you think, well, no. that's a problem. No fun. How, 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 how do you manage that? How, how just... dull is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 dear. <laughs> well, in a way, I feel with the opposite of Steve and Dorothy, because Steve felt he was part of his reason to be living this life, was to care for Dorothy. And 
I feel very much that I must have done you a favor in a previous life because you've certainly cared for me in this one. Mm. You. <laughs> Is that I, all I you got to say? No, well, I'm hmm. thinking of training as a doctor because, I mean, you've been through everything, haven't you? <laughs> I'm slowly going through from the ears to the to the toes. I mean, I think everything's been operated on. I'm learning a lot. But yeah. you do, and that's the thing about marriage. It's not always easy, but you do. It's where you learn about life, isn't it? Mm. I feel it's such a privilege to have that connection and deepness with someone and I'm always very sad for people who want that and haven't got it. I can tell you one interesting fact about our wedding. When I said we were married the day before my 30th birthday, by then I'd spent nearly 10 years in the public eye and on stage playing Wembley and you know, Reading Festival, all the festivals and that. So I, I was used to you know, the public eye and big crowds and stuff. And I was also, as I am today, quite religious. I wasn't going to church then as I do now, but... Um, I was quite, I was always religious, uh, and um, yeah, I didn't want to be married with a white dress and all that stuff in church. I didn't want the pretentiousness of it all. I, I, to this day, I, I don't like weddings. To this very day, my two children, I've put them, Dorothy and I have put them through their big church weddings. Wonderful, good, but hey, hey, it, love is love is love. You don't have to prove it with all this flamboyance. And I didn't need it because that flamboyance middle, was my middle name. I'm on stage all the time. And D Dorothy was played, seemed to be quite cool about it. Yeah, I was. So she never had a white, <clears throat> fluffy dress. No, we, we, we hired a, a house, if I remember, in Wandsworth, a, a large property. And we, and we told people For the party. and friends uh, we were having a party. And then when they turned up, we just said, oh, by the way, we got married today. <laughs> And that, and that was how we did it. We didn't tell them, you're coming to a party to celebrate um, a wedding. We just said, come to a party. And uh, that's, that's how we did it. That's very cool. Now, who wears the trousers in your household? Who's in charge? Dorothy has the man drawer. Oh, definitely got the man drawer. You would not put anything on a shelf that Steve had put up. Mm -mm. Uh, Dorothy can do anything. <laughs> She's got her dad's engineering skills. Um, me? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't go in the garden a week before a, a live concerts. You can't, you can't, these hands, this is, I play the guitar with. And this voice, you know, this is my instrument. You can't mess with them. I can't be around gloss paint and stinky things. You can't injure your hand loading the dishwasher, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy, um, it's not all sweetness and light in, in the world of, of music and also acting. I mean, when Steve spent five months or more of his life getting ready to play Phantom of the Opera and then to lose the part to Michael Crawford, how did you help him deal with such a huge disappointment? We, we just got on. I mean, Steve basically dealt with it. I mean, he's, he's told the story many times. Um, <clears throat> I was there when, when, it was when it was given to him. And I was there when it was taken away. And, and there's, there's nothing much you can do about it. Um, and as Steve would say, and, and you know, you, you call your lawyer, it's breach of contract, and, and, you, and you, just, you just deal with it and you move on. I mean, we're so much very younger then as well. So it wasn't as if we were sort of in the twilight years, um, you know, where nothing else could be on the horizon. There was, there was always going to be plenty more opportunities for something similar or not, but there was always going to be opportunities for something else. I think that's basically what we thought, and we just, just, deal, just deal with it. 
Well, you're obviously a very good sponge because it is hard when somebody, I mean, I mean when Johnny came off drive time, that was hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. Johnny was upset and I was still really new as your wife. And I found that really hard to deal with that level of disappointment. I hadn't yeah. toughened up by that stage. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I think I've also told many times that there is a God, whether you're religious or not. And Michael Crawford had three years in Barnum, was on a beach in the West Indies and got bored because he's a workaholic. So he approached them, Cameron McIntosh, and Cameron liked the, you know, the, 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 the idea. And I, th you know, as Dorothy says, it took me five minutes to get over it. I, I knew a really good contracts lawyer and they were in breach. And uh, I was signing up for nine months Six days a week, eight shows a week, the same dressing room. That's having a job. It's not my style. Frankly, it, it wasn't for me. Uh, and it, you know, so I went back on the road, a different dressing room every day, which is my life, the wandering minstrel, you know? Well, we did see you in the West End because we came to see you doing Beckett. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, 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 good. I don't think so, was it? But... Uh, Bless you, thank you. I don't remember, to be honest. I, I just know that when they said, do you want to read Beckett? Beckett's a musician. Reading Beckett's words, his dialogue, his music. It's almost written in Italian. It's so beautiful and rhythmical and melodic. I'm a huge, huge fan. I don't understand a word of it, to be honest, but it's beautiful. And to be asked to, to do a, a you know, two-man, two-hander, yeah, hey, it was the West End. Whoa, <laughs> Steve, you've let me down. Why? Gone over. Well, we were having a chat before you came on, the two of you, and I was saying, just wait for the moment when Harley goes, Johnny, you nicked my show. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Um, uh, that that was as close to a job that I've ever had after journalism, and I really loved it. That was about nine years, wasn't it? I did the the, the sounds of the seventies, and uh, and Bowman, the producer, always said you advised him to approach me, um, and I loved it. I loved it because I wrote every word. I, I people say, well, I wasn't just reading it; I was writing it, and it was a bit of a job, wasn't it? Yeah, you used to enjoy it. Get Sundays, on the train. Get on the do, train. Do a bit of a commute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call a cab. It was just, I was doing, they took me off drive time and then they gave me a Sunday afternoon show, which was a mix of kind of new music, old music. And then one day I just got a call from the controller at the bus saying, Johnny, we want you to just turn it into a 70s show. And I can't remember whether you were still doing Sounds of the 70s or not. No, no he dropped me. Um, yeah. What's his name? Lewis had uh, already dropped me. He phoned me personally and said, Steve, I've got to talk to you. I said, what is it, Lewis? And he told me what, he was dropping it. And I went, that's okay, man. You know, I got back on the road. So I, I'm, it's not what I do. I'm touring. You know, I was touring all the time anyway. It's, it's okay. I'm, I'm a great fatalist. The door shuts, another one opens. As you've proved yourself, Johnny, professionals, like at your quality and your level, there's always a door going to open, always. I've been with you in Bristol, Gloucester, all those places where you went, and now you're back in the, the where you belong. You know, it's 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 a lot of it is uh, to do with respect from the from the industry you're in. Um, it must have been quite nice though when you did Sounds of the Seventies because you were listening, you were really focusing on other people's music. And when you're at home, do you listen? Who do you listen to? 
And who puts the music on, Dorothy? You're raising your eyebrows. Do you choose the? Are you the DJ? No, no. Actually, um, I mostly have radio two on until I get in my car, and then I have my choice of music because I wouldn't necessarily play my choice of music when Steve was a passenger. Um, and that's when I like to to go off somewhere and just and just listen to music and have it as loud or as soft as I like. But it's, it's generally radio two that I have on daytime. Yeah. And what is your sort of music then? Um, it's, it's quite eclectic, I would say. I mean, that's a word that Steve has used many times, but it, it is too. I think it would be more difficult to say what I didn't like, and that would be um, jazz, rhythm and blues. Oh, yeah, some, you hate jazz, like that, don't you? Because I, I don't know how to listen to it. It's a bit like poetry. You either read it or you don't. And I don't know how to, to read poetry. I don't get it. Um, I don't get jazz i can't find the offbeat and i think that's just <laughs> going all over the place what did people get out of this but i appreciate that it's it's talented people who make that sort of music and who enjoy it but it's not me so i, I, I listen to most people but not not heavy metal I listened to um, Bowie talking about himself the other day on, on, a, on a Radio 2 show, and he said he started playing jazz because it was the cool thing to do, and he said he didn't get it, but he just kept listening to it until it started to mean something to him. He just knew it was an impressive thing, and he was about, wasn't he, Steve? He was about very much uh, giving the right image out. Steve, what about you and music? Is there anything that you love playing that Dorothy doesn't like? Oh, she, well... <laughs> she wouldn't like my, my more eccentric tastes. I mean, after Dylan, one of the great the heroes of mine and was the god of our industry was Frank Zappa. I've got everything that Zappa ever produced and it's totally mind-blowing. It's so big, it's out there. And it's out there. I mean, Zappa was like Haydn or Bach from that world. Zappa was just diff different quality, touched. Uh, but it's eccentric madness and stinkfoot and Dorothy wouldn't want to listen to that stuff because it is pseudo jazz, quasi jazz, Zappa. It's extremely musical. Every drummer who had to work worked with him had to read music, you know, drummers read music. So they, he wrote everything down and uh, he would, he, Dorothy wouldn't enjoy a four hour car ride with me listening to that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Not many would. Or the Goretsch, the Goretsch I, I tra travel listening to the Goretsch um, Symphony, the, the Polish. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I'll hear that for, for an hour and uh, just rocks my head. I, I get out of the car and think, God, what, a, what just happened to me? What kind of experience was that? You know. You, you're, what you're saying goes along with me because I think music is a very private thing. Your taste, you just because you're married doesn't mean to say you like the same thing. So I tend to listen to oh, my no, music on, on my own, in my study or my den, and Johnny will come in and go, oh, that's nice. What's that? What's that? But I'm, it's, I'm, I'm not very good at sharing it with you. No, and it's amazing, the volume. I get into Tiggy's car, turn <laughs> it on, the radio's always on, and ear-splitting volume, like... <laughs> Songs that you would dedicate to to each other, Steve. What song would you dedicate to to Dorothy? Um, it's it one of my own. Is all right. I, I would give Dorothy my song called Journey's End, which was written for my son when he left university after about six years. Um, it, it's it's called a father's prayer, but it really is about family. It's talking about be true to yourself, and I'll be there. At, 
on the road as the mystery unfolds. I'll be there when you need a special friend. And I, I'd never written a, a truly sentimental song like that in my career until I came up with Journey's End. Oh, that's nice. And uh, while Care knows I wrote it in his honour, it's aimed at um, protecting people that you love. It's saying, I'll be there. I didn't know you would say that. Thank you. <laughs> so, Dorothy, have you got one that you would dedicate to Steve? Obviously not one you've written. <laughs> no, not, not, not one that I've written, no. <laughs> um, actually, I, I have. Um, it's a Neil Diamond song, and uh, it, Steve probably has no idea. I'm, I'm, it's possible he's never even heard the track, and it's called The Story of My Life. And, of course, if you listen to it, you would need to change... It from a man's point of view to a woman's point of view but for me I mean it's an, the way I interpret that song is things are not always brilliant in a long-term marriage you do have your ups and downs but ultimately you do have you feel when you had your soul made and that was my interpretation of that song when I, when I when I hear it when I, I, I listen I to song. it I don't think I know it well, I'll play it to you later. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, but it, it, it is. It's about finding your soulmate. And although people looking at you, looking at the marriage from, from as an outsider, they would possibly think, oh, oh there's trouble in paradise or they're, they're, you know, they're really blissfully happy together. But nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. And possibly what you think you can say to somebody, you can say it better in a song. Um, and this is what you feel deep down because you have met your soulmate regardless of um, how, how things appear at times. Yeah, so, so yes. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Johnny knows perfectly well, anyone knows, I wrote A Friend for Life, talking about soulmate, for Dorothy, about Dorothy, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not, I picked the other song, which has just, it's not, so, quite, not quite, so, uh, quite so sentimental. Just a reminder that if you look at the podcast notes for this podcast, uh, there will be all the details of the songs that we've mentioned and links so that you can actually listen to them. Um, now, the other thing about when a couple comes on consciously coupling, uh, they're sent by Hotel Chocolat a velvetizer. Yeah, not off. Looked a bit like a coffee jug. It's a beautifully stylish. Uh, piece of equipment and it makes fantastic hot chocolate. How are you getting along with it? Wow, <laughs> what an invention. <laughs> it's fabulous and it looks fabulous as well. Um, it's, it's fantastic, it's beautiful. Thank you, thank you for that. It is absolutely stunning. I mean, ours is used, we've had one for about three years, used mm. every single day. <clears throat> really, every day, but it's only like, two minutes 40 seconds each cup to make so it's fabulous not that you've been timing it no not at all i put my stopwatch have you on. tried some of the different flavors yeah amazing absolutely amazing yeah love it thank you and the other lovely thing about that is that it's for right or left-handed people it's designed mm -hmm. to be ambidextrous yeah. which yeah. i think is, they they think of everything yeah. they think well i'm so glad you like that well Good. thank you well listen thank you so much for being our very first guests on Consciously Coupling. Dorothy, how do you feel after your major public performance? Oh, there'll be no stopping me now, Johnny. That's it. Move over, Steve. I like anonymous in the supermarket. Let me explain to Steve what a supermarket is. Oh, <laughs>
Steve, um, I hope things relax and you're able to get back and doing what you love doing and doing so well, and that's playing your songs for people. Yeah. Let's hope it's not too long. Yeah, you know, we're just banging on, waiting for that vaccination. Everyone's got to have it. It's, uh, we've, got to, we've got to, everyone's got to get over yeah. this and get through it. You know, we, in a year's time, we're going to be saying, what was that? What was that all about? That bug. Do you know what, Steve? I think everyone will forget very quickly once they have their life back. It'll be very interesting to see what changes we all take forward. Hopefully oh. we will all take some. Yeah, yeah we, we're, we're moving all these shows, you know, 60, 70 shows and even adding them now for, for 2022. And while they've all been moved, you can count on your fingers how many have said they can't make the reschedule. People are desperate for... I've learned a lot in this nine or ten months. I've learned a lot from my Facebook and from... I did a big Zoom with 300 people a couple of weeks ago. It meant the world to them. I had no idea. They were in from Argentina, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, all over Europe, all over Britain. 300 people. I had it professionally run, yeah? I just sat here like I am now, and there were 300 people in the, the, in the room with their pre-agreed questions. It meant the world to them. I had no idea. The live music, what it means to people. Live music. See, to me, it's a job. I, I, I go to a hotel afterwards, next day I do it again. They go home and they go to another one three months later. But it means the world to them. And I, I'm, I, it's really good for people like me to learn what it's like to not be the performer. To, you know, I go to what, two gigs a year, if, if that. Apart from not playing. Yeah, I've learned a lot. Interesting. Good. Well, we've found out various things, including Steve Harley is the perfect house husband. <laughs> amazing amount of housework. <laughs> he cooks even more than you, Dolly. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I did actually take him to a supermarket once. He's probably forgotten. I took him there for the experience and perhaps some inspiration, but I've got to say, never again. It was like taking a child. Oh, I hate it. I, I, I had everything in the basket and I put him up the other end of the conveyor belt and sort of tried to explain what happened up the other end. So as I was putting things on, the woman was ringing it up and he was just putting it straight into the basket. And I said, no, you have to put it in bags. You, how, what do you think you're going to do when you get to the car? And he said, oh, this is just not Also, also I, I just, can't queue. I, I, I don't know how to queue. It's he weird. He stands up in the middle of the shop and says, excuse me, I'd I, like to pay for this. I walk and up and pay for this. It's terrible. I've this. <laughs> you want to see me at airports. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. And lots of love to you both. Bless you both. Lovely seeing you. Keep, keep, keep well, won't you? Keep well, guys. Yeah, yeah. We will. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Tiggy. Bye, Johnny. Bye-bye. Uh, let me just say you've been listening to Johnny and Tiggy Walker consciously coupling with Steve and Dorothy Harley. Yes. In partnership with the Velvetizer by Hotel Chocolat, barrister grade drinking chocolate at home. It certainly is. Well, Johnny, what did you think? I, I thought that was fascinating. I love the fact that he just does nothing in the house at all. At all? To protect <laughs> his voice and his hands? Yeah. Dorothy is so down to earth. There were a lot of similarities between them and us, which I found really quite fascinating. Yeah. Dorothy's fantastic. She is. And very honest. I love the fact that she's so grounded. And Steve is very lucky to have her in his life because she enables him to go off and be that man. 
touring all the time yeah. and being the creative animal that he is. It's well, a great mix. It's just fascinating, the balance in two people who meet and what makes that relationship work. And uh, he's the very romantic one. And as you say, Dorothy very much down to earth. And do you know what? She chose a Neil Diamond uh, song for him. And I was actually thinking, because I've been thinking about that for us. If I chose a song for you, what would I dedicate? And, and I have a Neil Diamond one in my back pocket. Do you? I do, but All I'm right. not going to tell you. Okay, we'll find, we'll find out. <laughs> you may never find out. I might never find out, yeah. <laughs> Play it at my funeral. <laughs> All right, Tink, it's been great doing this with you. A, a pleasure, Johnny. And uh, join us for the next edition of Johnny and Tiggy Walker, Consciously Coupling. Till then, stay safe and take good care. Bye-bye. And don't forget to follow us on yeah. our socials, Johnny. Yes, our, our socials. socials. What are your socials? <laughs> and don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Pirate JW. Tiggy is... Tiggy Walker. That difficult to remember. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.